Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We're back after a elongated international break, uh, for us at least, to discuss another strangely encouraging loss. I This is becoming a bit of a habit for us, and I hope it doesn't continue, or at least the loss part. Uh, we are here to talk about our 2-1 defeat to Aston Villa this past weekend, but before that... Don't forget to leave us five stars on iTunes or Spotify and follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that's out of the way, let me introduce my co-host. First up, he is eagerly awaiting a art house biopic of Ange Postacoglu. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, how are you doing this week? I am once again zen and at peace with the world, despite everything conspiring against us. What uh, what what auteur director do you feel like would do the best Ange Postacoglu biopic? Oh man, that's a tough question. You know, what's the angle you're going for? Is this after we have conquered all of English and European football, I assume, and not ending in like this heartbreaking tragedy? I think it's an uplifting <laughs> uh, underdog story. I think Danny Boyle is the answer here. Danny maybe he's Boyle? not an art house director, but I think Danny Boyle will be well suited for it. Like maybe like he a, wouldn't meet your maybe he wouldn't meet millionaire your, story. Well, he did Steve Jobs, you know. A misunderstood genius in his time. Misunderstood yeah. by Jonathan Liu in this case. Yeah, poor Steve Jobs had such a hard time. Yeah, he really did. <laughs> Moving on from this awkward topic, uh, we have coming to us uh, from South Florida, but this past week he navigated the more challenging slopes of New York City. It's Brian Ashlock. Brian, I hope you didn't um, accidentally ski anywhere you weren't supposed to this weekend. Nope, nope. Um, I was uh, just mostly with you, so didn't have uh, a lot of time <laughs> to do as much extracurricular activities as I would have liked because you're very boring. <laughs> that's that's true. I don't get on many black diamond slopes. Yeah, you you wouldn't let me do any of the fun things. Um, I wasn't allowed to go to the bathroom of the bar we were at by myself just because I know you were very concerned for my health and safety. So thank yeah, you. yeah. Well, you know there there were there were a lot of Cubans in there, and I know you know how to handle yourself, but still, uh, I sure do. Did you have to keep Greg from getting punched at any point during the weekend? <laughs> uh. I don't think so. Uh, I'll, although I, I will say, and you can cut this if you want, Greg, but Greg did think for like two hours that he was standing next to his ex-girlfriend yes. and and did not make any efforts to confirm this. And then 20 minutes later when we were on the street was like, oh, that wasn't her. <laughs> Real healthy uh, emotional life I have there. But um, yeah, I mean, we were with our friend Vince. I think if I was going to get punched, that's probably where it was going to happen. So, yeah, and and Vince, as we all know, loves referees, and this was a kind of referee-heavy match. A little teeny tiny bit. 
But yeah, um, let's let's go to the match as opposed to uh, my poor life choices and Brian's uh, extracurricular activities. Uh, yeah, this was. I feel like we're having this conversation. Well, we had this conversation a little bit with around Chelsea. Not so much. Well, we didn't we didn't talk about it around Wolves, but I don't think we would have had this conversation around Wolves. This was another loss that I think, as a Spurs fan, you have to feel pretty good about. And aside from some of the more reflexive Enoch out cranks on Twitter. I feel like Spurs fans are generally handling this pretty well. I mean, Ben, you're easily the most negative person on here. And I know you're peace and zen now after your trips to uh, Melbourne to commune with Big Ange. But, I mean, I don't think I'm telling myself any tall tales when I say that, like, we were incredibly unfortunate to lose this match. And, you know, I think you've got to feel, if you're a Spurs fan, I, I feel incredibly good about how we approached the match. I feel incredibly good about how we performed. And it's just, I don't know, sometimes this shit happens. I think considering all the the context of how many players were out and who we were facing and what was going on, I think we did. I think we acquitted ourselves very well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first thing that obviously needs to get mentioned is the lineup because, you know, we saw us respond to the injury crisis beget by Chelsea um, against Wolves with a very conservative, abandoning our principles kind of approach um, that did not pay dividends. And, you know, this time we got the cocaine lineup. It was four fullbacks. uh, You know, Dyer was exiled. Hoybier was out of the team. We just put in every attacking player that we could think of. And, it looked great. I mean, we beat the brakes off of Villa for a good 40 minutes until Matty Cash crippled one of our best players. I think we were still uh, the better team in the second half. I mean, yeah. apart from one stretch or two. I don't like a lot of people were talking about like we completely fell off. I mean, we weren't as good, but I still think we were the better team the whole match. Yeah, I think that's true. It was it's probably less true in the second half, but it was like very clearly true in the first half. That was an ass kicking. And we had so many opportunities. Um, And like the fact that none of them went in is just unreal. I mean, we had three goals disallowed for offside. We hit the post twice. We had that early Udagi chance when it was one-on-one with the keeper that he just couldn't get over. You know, it was, it would, it would have been very easy for this game to be out of sight five minutes into the game. And, and, instead, and their keeper was just having a great day at the office. I mean, just nothing was getting by him um, that was on target. So, yeah. But I, I mean, I think all the attacking play was very exciting. And, you know, we saw a lot of positive performances from fringe players and, you know, the guys who were the first team uh, survivors, you know. Did their part to, you know, keep things ticking. Uh, yeah, I am nothing but happy with the performance. I'm just sad to be talking about a third result in a row because we don't deserve that. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you look at this game, and I think I think the biggest thing you can take away from it is, and is pretty ruthless with personnel decisions. It seems like this is the second match in a row. Or not in a row, sorry. This is the second match of the season where we had a fairly underwhelming defensive performance from the team, from a safe, what I think you would consider a safe lineup. And, you know, like the next match, he just like tears it all up and just, like you said, we, we get a cocaine lineup. I mean, you saw it against Brentford earlier in the year. Now you saw it 
against um, after the Wolves match where he was just very unhappy with the performance and he played a lot of like, you know, Dyer was in the back line. I mean, this week he built the whole back line out of fullbacks. He, you know, was just putting in guy. It was an attacking lineup. And, you know, I think Villa is incredibly lucky to have gotten away with this one. Yeah. And I think, you know, the real question for me is why we didn't see that against Wolves. I mean, for a man who talks so much about his principles and not taking your foot off the gas and, you know, this is all part of learning his system and, you know, every loss is a, is a lesson kind of kind of talk for him to have taken such a conservative approach in his personnel selections was really baffling. And I'm glad he corrected it the next match. I just, I wonder why he keeps going back to that. I mean, I think that's understandable to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Like, you're in a bad situation. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable to the extent that, like, that's what the safe, normal thing is. But, like, his whole thing is not that. It's the exact opposite. Well, it's, yeah, but I, I get that it's like you try to be a little safer with the players and see if they can deliver what you need them to deliver. And when they don't, he's like, all right, fuck it. Now, again, you, we can argue about should he have learned his lesson or what have you. I think these were slightly different lineups, slightly different situations. But I find it really encouraging just how quickly he he's willing to cut bait on certain players or not even players because he doesn't really have a bomb squad like Conte had or Nuno had where it's like here's all the losers. I mean, he'll throw these guys. I mean, Dyer really seems to be the only guy who he's just like absolutely sick of and doesn't want to use. But, um, you know, it's 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 I think it's just really encouraging that he's just ready to move on, try something else when he's not getting what he wants. Because, I mean, we talked about this, I think, when we talked about the Chelsea match. And, Brian, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. Is like, you know, I, I think we hear, always hear about managers with the courage of their convictions, and especially attacking managers. And I feel like, you know, I feel like we heard this about Pochettino, and I'm not trying to be, like, overly negative about Pochettino because he's a snake and a traitor and he's at Chelsea now. Is but, that the ex who you were standing next to? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was Pochettino. He, he was at the match. Uh, no, but it was... Um, you know, it, it, it's I don't think Pochettino like, you know, when he would get in spots like this and he never had like half the fucking team out down to injury. But I don't think he was even as committed to this shit as I mean, Postacoglu, like, I, God, I, I can't think of a manager who's just like, <laughs> this is how we're playing, guys. And if it gets us in trouble, I don't really give a shit. Like, you're going to learn how to do this. I mean, Conte kind of did that last year in a very negative way. But I mean. Man, yeah, he would take his most fun players and make them miserable. Well, he it was committed like, to his principles. They were just we're going to keep playing this way until you get it, and we're just getting the fun version of that, that now. Brian, I've talked for entirely well, too long uh, while you had internet troubles, so please. No, no, you're you're fine. I mean, like, look, it was <laughs> I was terrified of the oops all fullbacks lineup, um, but yeah, you're right. It is it is commitment to his principles. It is ruthlessness with the squad in terms of playing the guys that buy in and and understand what he's trying to do and it it mostly worked um you know i i don't know like how much we should be praising him for um you know commitment to these principles i think you know that's kind of part and parcel of who he is and what he is and that's certainly how he sold himself to the fan base um but I do appreciate that he course corrected after the Wolves match. I mean, you know, he he recognized uh, the issues that he had and 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 made a change back to what he traditionally does. And 
I don't know. Uh, you know, this could have gone a lot, a lot worse. And, you know, it, it's it's been interesting to see, you know, some of the fan opinion about the lineup and the and the selections and, and people saying who should have or should have not have started. And I, I don't know. I think I think with what we had, this was as good as we could get. And, you know. Like you said, Greg, I mean, nobody that we've had in kind of in the modern era of Spurs has had an injury crisis like this where you're just completely decimated. Well, lasagna gate, but yeah. Yeah, but that was like one game. This is like, you know, this it's it feels unprecedented, although I'm sure that other teams with deeper squads have dealt with this. But like. Uh, you know, it, it's nuts. And and to to come into this game and and not only play well, but to, like you guys said, for large stretches of the game, dominate um, is a credit to the players, too. Uh, there was a lot of talk on various Spurs podcasts I listened to and you know, various Spurs people I talked to or listened to about like after that Chelsea game, when we had all those injuries and we had this tough stretch coming up and they're like, OK, well, if he loses three or four in a row, is he going to be under pressure? And I mean, I guess if we lose three or four in a row playing like we did against Wolves, like, yeah, I think he's going to be under pressure. If we lose three and four in a row playing like this, where like we look great and we're kind of unlucky and we're really like committed to a style and it's just, you know, you can sort of see the limitation. Like, I don't think he's under pressure. I think everyone's kind of bought in to this because we were all talking last year about how we chop an arm off to watch just some entertaining football. There's that. You know, you go back to any time a Spurs manager is, like, really flailing. You know, I, I feel like you always see that tweet or whatever about where someone's saying, like, oh, we should just go down to the championship and, like, kick ass and maybe that'll be fun for a while. And it's like, obviously, that's an exaggeration. But, like, I feel like, you know, this is kind of – this is what a work in progress looks like to a certain extent in a, in a good way where it just, you know, it's like we are going to build this thing and we're going to have some hiccups, but we're going to keep – you know, plodding along. And I, I'm, I'm very impressed with how we looked on, on Sunday, um, considering that everything was dead and that we're, we're, we were stay committed to trying to build something. Ben. Yeah. I think, you know, at least the kinds of match going fans who I follow on Twitter, which admittedly is a usually, you know, biased selection of kind of pe- person, but the tenor seems to be that these people are having more fun going to a match and yes. losing like this than they did watching us, you know, grind out a shitty win under Conte and Mourinho. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure there is a limit to how many of these losses those people are mm-hmm. willing to suffer through. Um, but, you know, for now, it feels like, you know, we said course correction a dozen times, but like, this is finally getting us on the path to, okay, let's see how we can weather this crisis, the the big Ange way. And... You know, I think everyone is willing to be on board with that. And I think people are understanding of the fact that we are so injury hit right now that there's only so much he can do. And if this is what he can magic up out of the B squad um, against a Villa team that, you know, has been good this season and is on like a 13 game home winning streak, uh, you know, it's like he's got a lot of rope still. I mean, I got to say, like, and I think this is a credit to Pasacago. I was not impressed with Villa. Like, I mean, I'm very much an Unai Emery skeptic. And that high line worked, like, fair play. But, like, 
you know, long term, am I concerned? No, I'm not concerned about this Villa team. If that's what like sort of where these two squads are right now, like okay, like great, you want to play this like dog shit high line defensive bullshit. I know they play much better at home, and I'm being dismissive of them, but like. You know, I feel very good about like sort of the directions our two clubs are heading in after watching that match. And, you know, I think nine times out of ten, we beat them. I mean, and maybe maybe I'm just looking at this through, you know, core cat colored glasses or whatever. But I don't think I'm being unrealistic or getting too carried away here. I, I thought it was a really encouraging performance. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of credit goes to the kind of forgotten men of this team who who really stepped up in particular Giovanni Lo Celso yep. and his you know four years in the making redemption arc um but I mean hell of a performance from a guy who you know we have believed in against all odds and against a lot of evidence in front of us but like you know we've seen him be good when he's fit here and elsewhere and it was just looking like we would never get that and you know, there it is. It yep. just took one one start in a in a team that was not like a total bomb squad, as you put it, um, for him to look like the player that you know we've kind of all believed he could be. Yeah, it was. He, go ahead, Brian. Brian, go. Well, I was just gonna say, you know, both of the midfielders, or for the first, the both of the midfielders for the first thirty minutes of the game, uh, looked great. Uh, you know, I I thought uh, Lacelso was the guy that we expected him to be when he first came here. Um, you know, he he was doing the short interchangey passes. He was playing one-twos. He was playing through balls. Um, you know, he, there was all sorts of stuff that, that he was accomplishing for us in possession that we just haven't had from him when he goes out there with like the full B squad. Uh, and so it was really great to see. And I mean, you know, his goal was, uh, it was deflected, but like that was a great position for him to be in. And, uh, you know, I'm really happy the, that he, for him to take that shot from that spot. Um, and it worked out. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I thought Bentoncourt was, was equally as good um yep. in midfield for those first 30 minutes and uh really unfortunate that he he got hurt um and had to come off and uh, hopefully it's not too bad because you know uh i mean it is it is yeah. he's out till february like oh it was confirmed cool yeah cool, yeah cool. two and a half months they said yeah i mean the guy can't catch a break uh maybe we can redshirt him or something that's a joke for <laughs> american uh, american fans uh no i i it sucks because if you have Bentoncourt who can basically cover for Basuma and Saar and Lacelso, that's five men in midfield that you're pretty comfortable with. And Hoiberg, who is at least competent, you know, like uh, that makes you feel good about the midfield depth. But with well, all the injuries, then now all of a sudden I, I it's it's hard. And it, it sucks, too, because, you know, you talk to some friends of ours who shall remain nameless, Michael Cayley, who, you know, you you bring up like, oh, well, at least like Bentoncourt will be back in like November or whatever. And, you know, the the retort to that would be, well, it, that's if Bentoncourt is his old self. And it sure looks like he was his old self. I mean, not only was he back doing all the great things we know that he's capable of doing, but he was like, I think he was playing in a slightly deeper position in this game. He was. 
I mean, he was playing in a new role. He was doing great. And then you've got fucking Maddie Cash, who is like an Arsenal player or something, because he's dedicated himself to like derailing our seasons. I mean, just inexcusable. That's such a dirty play. And I, I don't know what to say about Maddie Cash. Other than that guy's like a piece of shit. And, you know, it's just like that's that was such a dirty tackle. And it's someone pointed this out. And I, I think like I said this to our friend when we were watching the game, like, I don't think that ever gets a red card, but it should. Cause like, is, was what Romero did against Chelsea worse than what Matty cash did. His foot was nowhere near the ball. He's just trying to take out his shin. He's kicking him as hard as he can. I mean, that it's, it's ridiculous. It's dirty. I mean, you know, and I, it doesn't seem like he's develops a reputation at all. Like Christian Romero has, you know, he's just a hardworking kid or something. I, I, I fucking hate that guy. He's such a piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, he ended Matt Doherty's, you know, golden spring, uh, and now this, I mean, and you just have to feel so bad for Roddy, as uh, as Ange apparently calls him. Uh, you know, he just battled back from such a serious injury and, you know, was working so hard. And we we're all so excited to see him out there. And then he delivers. And now he's got to go fucking back to the, you know, hospital room for another two, three months. It's just... He has been, you know, what, when fit, one of the best players on this team for the last couple of years. And, you know, he he just deserves better than this. Yes. Yes, he does. And it's, you know, I mean, the only bright side of this is it's not the same injury. You know, it's not it's not re-aggravating the old injury, but it's it's infuriating. And it's like, I, I don't think, you know, I mean, I think we've seen worse refereeing performances this year. I do think the referee was trying to have a semblance of control over the game. But this guy goes out to injure a player on our team. That's like the only thing he was trying to do there. And you know, he escapes it and he escaped. Like, I can't remember the exact play, but there was definitely a yellow. Like he, he had an offense like 10 minutes later that if he hadn't been on a yellow card, he would have gotten a yellow card for it. He gets away with it. They're able to make a sub at halftime and survive. And it's just, it's just, it's fucking shitty. And I don't, I don't yeah. really subscribe to this, to this conspiracy theories that they're out to get us after Liverpool, but it gets harder after a game like this. And, and it also drives me fucking nuts to see, you know, them kick the shit out of us and, you know, add 10 minutes of stoppage time as a result. And then they score in the, you know, seventh minute of extra time in the first half that they only get because, you know, he murdered our player and just, yeah, it just, it's, it just feels wrong. Cosmically wrong. Brian, uh, I think the other big story out of midfield was Kulishevsky as our uh, 10. I'm not sure what you would call it, but Kulishevsky in the midfield. Like, how do you feel about his performance? Um, so, so I watched the game at a bar. Um, so uh, <laughs> I thought he was fine. Uh, I, I guess like looking at some of the reporting afterwards, everybody else thought he was a lot better than that. Um, so I, I'm going to say that he was good. Um, but I, I just, I didn't notice him as much because he, it didn't feel like things were running through him kind of the same way that they had been going through La Celso and Bentoncourt early in the game. But I, I don't know. I he was okay. I thought he was really good. And I think, you know, if Saar is not back, you know, we'll probably see another midfield of Hoybeer, La Celso and Kulishevsky. Um, against Man City and you know that seems a little soft but 
I, I thought he acquitted himself well. I think, you know, in the second half, he ended up kind of moving back towards his normal right wing position and was probably more effective out there. But it's nice that he has the tools to be able to do more than one thing, you know, because we have seen him kind of not be as involved and not be as, uh, you know, willing to take shots and not as, as much of a like creative final third presence. And I think that wasn't the case um, this weekend. He you know, had three shots. He created three chances. He had, you know, that early chance that went off the post. Um, he was doing things around the box in a way that I think, you know, we've been missing from him. So in that respect, I was, I was very pleased. So how are you feeling about this midfield moving forward? I mean, I mean, I I don't feel good about anything with city coming up basically, but how are you feeling like sort of going into this match? Brian, is Basuma back? Yes, Basuma's back next Basuma's week. So back. we'll have him. Yeah, I mean, still not great. Because um, what's our center back pairing? I mean, are we rolling with Emerson and uh, Ben Davis against Erling Holland? Because I got, I think you're going to see this. The, like on the back line, I think you're going to see this again. Yeah, I mean, how uh, Holland might score. Uh, a first half hat trick against that. I mean, not to not to say that they were bad against Villa, but like the moments where they had to actually defend, they the instincts to of when to step up and when to be touched tight to a man are just not there. So so that's what I'm more concerned about. But like the midfield with uh, with Basuma back, it'll probably be fine. I mean, again, you have. Uh, Hoiberg, who you know can play in these big matches, who does have the skill set, you know, who does have the athleticism to do this stuff. Um, you, you've you got plenty of options there where I don't think the midfield is going to be what gets us completely overrun. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that was really clear in this match was that set pieces were very scary. Their lack of size and physicality in those two guys is just not there. Um, you know, Holland's a big, fast dude, and you'd like to have, you know, Van Deven's recovery pace. You'd like to have, you know, him and Romero bodying up against him on corners and stuff. Uh, that's going to be a real risk. But the flip side of that is it's Man City, so we're going to win regardless. <laughs> It'll be stupid, but we'll win. I, yeah, I mean, there's no version of this I feel good about. It sounds like we might have Sar back. It sounds like, I mean, we will have Basuma back. That can't hurt. Uh, and I'd rather have Basuma for a game like this than a game like Villa, honestly, because he responds well to pressure, I think. Um, it, it, it's going to be an interesting match, but I don't want to get too far away from this. Um, how did we feel about Brian Heal? This might be the longest we've ever seen him in a Spurs shirt. Um, I, I, I was kind of impressed, but I'm grading him on a scale or on a curve rather. Um, you know, look, based on the Slack notifications on my phone, he was very bad. (laughs) Um, I, I what did I say? That's Brian with a, why are you doing that? Uh, exactly. No, that was, I forgot to remind you of that joke. I'm glad you remember. Um, yeah, no, I, (laughs) it was kind of like peak bad Lucas Mora like 
going into I blind. Harsh. I think that's harsh. I, I don't know. I don't think, you know, the, I think a lot of the offense on that side kind of came through Kulisevsky drifting over in that direction and Pedro Poro. Um, I, I just, you know, he he played 80 minutes or so and he had like one good pass or cross kind of from the end line. Like he he just didn't look like he was picking up his head to find where guys were just kind of crossing to a spot. And I, I don't know, it, it wasn't great. And, uh, you know, this is kind of the match that you would have liked to see him show out in, um, you know, getting to kind of play in his favorite position on his favorite side and we talk about Ange wanting the wingers to do wingery things. He's the guy that does wingery things. And it just really wasn't there. I'm I'm less mad about Brian's performance. Um, you know, I feel like he was he and Brennan Johnson had very opposite games where Brennan Johnson was once again very few touches, low involvement, but when he did get involved created a couple chances, took some good shots, you know, whereas Brian was very heavily involved. He touched the ball more than most of our players, I think, besides Lo Celso, um, and didn't create a whole lot out of it. But, like, that's kind of what we've been looking like for a while, is Kuliszewski is usually the outlet winger who's, you know, progressing the ball, moving the ball upfield, and then, you know, not really delivering a lot lately. Um, while Johnson or Richarlison or whoever on the other side is like actually popping up and like being effective in front of goal. And so part of it is like, I don't know if it's by design, but it's, it's at least familiar looking to how we've been playing. And I think as a guy who was an outlet, who was able to take the ball downfield and get heavily involved, he did all of that stuff reasonably well. He's just, you know, not effective at all in front of goal. And that was, you know, again, the things we knew about Brian when we signed him was like, yeah, he dribbles a lot. Yeah. He's, you know, got some pizzazz, but like he doesn't produce anything. And he was kind of on that level again, but it's, it's not useless. Like, I mean, he I think he was one a big good shot. It's, it's worth yeah, pointing out he had he had one a, good shot and he created one good chance and he dumped a couple crosses into, you know, space that like Brian said, no one was there, but like, you know, I think he was an effective component of the attack that I, again, was very good and, and, you know, created a lot of opportunities, even if he wasn't the one taking the shot or picking the final pass. Like it's, it's not, it's not a finished article. It's not necessarily like, yeah, he should be playing, but like, there's something there that like maybe could become something more. I don't know. Well, it's like so much of this game. It's like, how do you feel about it? And it's, you know, as our third or fourth choice option as an attacking option or, or just on that flank, like, yeah, he's probably fine now. Like, is he worth what we paid for him or what we're paying him every week? Uh, that's a different question. But like, you know, as a guy that you're turning to because you're totally devastated in injury crisis, like, yeah, probably fine. Um, even if you should be looking to upgrade. I mean, it reminds me a lot of Solomon in that regard. I mean, I think Solomon is sort of better at certain things, but, you know, just, like, obviously very deficient in a few things. But you could see, like, what there was to dream on, like, years ago. You know what I mean? Years ago. God. Um, I mean, it is at this point. 
I know, I know. I, you know, I think the frustrating thing for me is uh, the both wingers started off in the first half um, playing really well and doing a great job of like getting in behind, and and that really fell off in the second half. Um, and I know part of that was just due to guys being tired. I mean, you know, we saw. You know, 65 minutes in, most everybody's legs were gone. Um, I think that was kind of the frustrating part of, of the game as a whole is, you know, we we didn't make subs until pretty late in the game other than the Bentoncourt sub. But and, you know, I, I Greg and I talked you know, after the game, like who was there to bring on? But I think they're also Jamie Donnelly. Yeah, there also would have been a little bit of value of just having fresh legs out there. And, and you know, I like I don't know how good Alejo Velez is. I And I don't think that he's maybe Premier League level, but you can't tell me that putting him out there 15 minutes earlier to let him run around more wouldn't have been useful. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, and, and again, Donnelly, I don't know how good Donnelly is. I'm almost certain he's not ready for this level. But he has legs that work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, our bench was a disaster. I mean, we had two goalkeepers and Eric Dyer as three of our subs. You know, like there were not a lot of options. But there was a moment where Johnson um, got the ball on a break and just took the ball down to a walk. And it was just like, oh, these guys are just, they have nothing. There's and that nothing wasn't even like the 88th minute. That was right. like. It was like at that point, I'm like, you know what? If these guys can't even sprint upfield on a counterattack, then let's see what this child can do. Because yeah, <laughs> well, Oliver Skip was like out sprinting everybody to get forward, and no one to get back. But that Johnson moment is where I think I kind of resign myself that like, okay, we're gonna lose this match because that's what kind of, that's like the sort of moment you have Johnson on this team for. Like, oh, there's a reasonable amount of space here. You're on side. Like, time to kick on the afterburners and see if they can keep up. Like, you know, that's something that he's, like, I think even the strongest Johnson skeptic would say, like, oh, that's a good situation for him. Like, at least put the team in sort of a more attacking position. But, like, yeah, that he was, like you said, he just had sort of jogged up the pitch. It's like, oh, he must be dead. And... You know, it's just, I don't know. This whole match was unfortunate the way it broke down. Were you concerned about how we conceded? Because it just seemed to me like they switched off. Like, I, I could see our starting center backs kind of. I think they probably don't concede both of those goals. But, like, like Villa didn't seem. Like, I feel like there was, like, a one ten-minute spell in the second half where they were really kind of testing us. But, like, I don't feel like Villa had any sort of sustained success attacking us. Yeah, I mean, that was an unfortunate breakdown from, like, a a real, like, low-quality move. Um, they got better, like, again, as we got gassed, they started, you know, giving it back to us a little bit towards the end. But, yeah, I think that the, it was, like, two moments in a 10-minute span that we just switched off for. Um, and that's very unfortunate. I don't know what else to say about those goals. Yeah. Like, yeah, we should have done better on both of them. I mean, I think that's going to be more of a problem against City because I am like Villa doesn't seem to know how to attack people on the road. At least I know they they put up big, big flashy numbers at home, but you know you look at what they do on the road on the road and it's just it's not very impressive. And like I said, I 
like if I hadn't watched Villa all year and I just watched this match, you know, I mean, would, I would not be very impressed with Aston Villa right now. I would be very skeptical of this team's prospects moving forward. And, um, and they're now ahead of us on the table. Yeah, which is deeply frustrating because, like, you know, who was the better team in that match? It's, I don't know. It's just, ugh, it was just irritating. And, Ben, it really made me think of something you said earlier in the year. It's just like, I wish we scored more goals, which is like, I don't think you can be too critical of this team's sort of attacking intent because I think it's there and I think it's impressive. But, you know, I think we're definitely seeing an element of, you know, we were maybe a little spoiled under Kane, who was such a ruthless finisher, because, you know, this team is, you know, and some of it's just variance and dumb luck, but, like, we're not putting away all these chances we had. And I remember thinking when, you know, our starting center back pairing, you know, was going to go away for at least three matches and probably longer, like, you know, we're, we're going to have to be a little more ruthless because, you know, we can't, you know, with this, with this back line, we can't afford to be in close games some of the time. And that's just what we saw this week. You know, you put away some, you, some of those chances we were talking about in the first five, 10 minutes, you know, I think Villa has a real problem in this match, but we didn't. So they didn't. And, you know, they were able to win. Yeah, Sun had a very frustrating performance. You know, we really needed him to deliver something and not being able to stay on side, not being able to take his chances, you know, hurt us. But, you know, we are currently the seventh top scorers in the league. And you just, for a side that's supposed to be like all out cocaine attack, like you just like to see that yeah, go up. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've talked a little bit this season already about the issue being whether we have enough clinical finishing on this team to kind of uh, get us to the level that we want to be at. And I I, th- I feel like this was uh, like a great example of a game where having, you know, a Harry Kane-like substance would have made a real difference. And, you know, Sun's finishing was good. He got the ball in the back of the net three times, but it was the other stuff in the buildup that was the problem uh, in this game. And I I think he's been pretty consistently at least a threat in all of these games. And I am less concerned about him or his level of finishing than I am about where else in this team goals are going to consistently come from, especially with Madison out. And, you know, it looked like at the beginning of the season that, you know, Saar might chip in with a a couple of goals, or um, I think we at the beginning of the season, we had hoped that Kulisevsky would make a leap and, and start getting more shots. And just none of that has really happened yet. And, you know, with this front three, which is seems to be kind of our first choice front three absent Richarlison uh, for the time being, I, I just don't know where else shots are going to come from. Um, well, I mean, you say that, but, you know, we also had, you know, there's an inch difference in us scoring three three goals in this match. You know, just no, and I understand, but I think that goes towards our level of 
uh, of finishing skill, our, our, our ability yeah. to be clinical in front of goal and not uh, as <laughs> you were so excited to say multiple times over the weekend, profligate. Um, you know, like we just have to, um, you know, be better in front of goal. And, and yeah. like, while I understand that the Kulisevsky move and then his shot to like that hits the post, like that's an amazing move. I thought that ball went into the net myself, but like it still doesn't count. Um, and so we, we either have to start getting more and better chances or we have to be more clinical with the ones we are getting. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, you look at the shooters on this team, Sun has only scored in five of 13 matches and that's just not good enough for being like so responsible for scoring goals in this team. You know, Harry Kane last year was scoring in most games. Um, and nobody else on the team has more than three goals. And one of them is James Madison, who we're not going to see maybe till March, allegedly, um, according to some rumors. Uh, and then the other is Kulisevsky, who scored one goal since September, uh, like beginning of September. You know, we have we have scored from like a lot of guys chipping in here and there. Um, but someone has got to become like a real secondary goal threat that is like a reliable finisher. It is. I think it is. Both things are true. We are being, we are getting a little unlucky in terms of at least like the ball going in the net. And also we need to be, we need to be more clinical. We cannot be, uh, as I was saying repeatedly to Brian, uh, profligate as profligate as we've been, because it's, it's not like we aren't creating a chances or dangerous situations. You know, you say Spurs are the seventh, you know, highest scoring team in the league this year. I think United are ahead of us, but like. No, United are terrible. They're way United are, Well, United are terrible, but my point is, like, you look at some of those teams ahead of us, and I think you would say, like, you know, the eye test tells a slightly different story in terms of, like, who's or, who's orchestrating a better attack. But at the same time, they, like you said, if Son's going to be our primary goal scorer, he needs to score a little bit more often. Uh, we need other guys chipping in. We need to spread the wealth a little bit. And I, I think to some degree, you know, if we weren't all like if we weren't a sort of walking mash unit, I would say that I expect that to happen eventually. But I'm a little worried it won't because everybody's so hurt and injured and we're having to jury rig systems. And, you know, we're losing guys like Bentoncore, who isn't a regular goal scorer, but he is the kind of guy who would chip in with a goal here or there. He And certainly he facil- excuse me, facilitates it. Well, I think one of the telling things for me is just kind of looking at like the XG, and I think I think I think that's helpful in this instance specifically, just because outside of Sun, we don't even have anybody that is generating much in the way of XG. Like the guy with the second most XG on our team is Richarlison, and he's played half as many minutes as Sun, and and you know he's got three ex- expected goals and one actual goal. And then from there, it's James Madison and uh, Saar and Kulisevsky have, like, two. And so, like, we're just not even getting the same level of quality shots that we were when we had kind of a, a more focal point striker. And and that's fine. Like, I'm okay with that. But then there needs to be some sort of adjustment in, in finishing quality or something. Because, you know... I, 
I appreciate that Ange has cut out a lot of the 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 shots from distance, but we're just not getting those same kind of shots in the sort of 10 yards right in front of goal in the way that Kane was able to, you know, so often. Well, this um, match we were. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. yeah, generally speaking, we're not. Yeah, this, this is probably not the best example of that. But just like, uh, you know, uh, in the season as a whole, we're not getting those. We're getting shots from wide, which is good because it leans into where Kulisevsky and Son are comfortable from and can score from. But, like, it just we could be making it easier on ourselves. And especially when you have in this game, like you are able to get down the flanks, you are able to t- attack those channels between the fullbacks and the center backs, the way we were in that first half, you can nail cutbacks if you're, if that's how you're playing. And, you know, we're just not doing that. Like, like our, our wing play and the and the sort of crosses that or the passes in the box that we are getting right now are not good. The co- the combinations that are working are the one twos with the midfielders and entering the penalty box on the dribble. Those are the things that are working more often than not. Like the stuff out wide and the cutbacks that that these They're players could working. be generating. That's that's the thing. Like I, yeah, that's I, the, I, I, I think this. that makes it more frustrating. Go ahead, sorry. No, it's just yeah, that's like, more I Well, something that's been driving me a little nuts is, like, I've seen a lot of Spurs fans over the last, like, month or so complaining about, you know, like, why isn't Kulishevsky shooting more? Or why isn't Johnson shooting more? And I think if you watch this team play, like, they're cl- our wide players are clearly being told in most situations, funnel into the middle. Like, I think... You know Kulishevsky, who's always someone I think who is something of a facilitator, and I think that's where his head's at. But I think you can see these guys are being told in a lot of circumstances, don't shoot, like get that thing, get that thing back to like Son or Madison or whoever is going to be like sort of pushing up in the middle. And you know I think that is not a bad idea all the time, but like it's not always connecting. It's not always there. And there are times there was one with Kulishevsky in particular in this match where it was like, God, just fucking shoot the ball. Don't, don't cut it back. And, you know, I don't know where you develop the trust in terms of like when to do it, when not to do it, but clearly they're being told to, you know, fall I mean, in, in the middle. I think this is the issue with our kind of midfield disruption as well Is you know, we relied on Madison to be a guy who collects those balls and either shoots or, or redistributes it around midfield. Early on in the season, Saar was making those, like, you know, second man runs into the box behind Sun, and he hasn't been doing that lately. You know, we've got none of that out of Hoiberg. Um, well, Celso wasn't really doing it the same way. Um, you know, Poro and Udagi are doing a little bit. We just need more of that from all of those guys. If that's how we're going to play and if that's where – opportunities are going to fall that we need more guys, you know, in those spaces mm-hmm. breaking in the box to collect those cutbacks. And, uh, but we do have Lo Celso. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you want to see that from him. I think, you know, most of our chances in this match, like most of the electric attacks were on counters were quick attacks, you know, against a high line. We aren't seeing a lot of chance development through, Again, combination I, play against. I feel like there was a fair amount defense. of that in this match. Like, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I feel like there was a fair amount of like us having the ball and playing with it. How do you feel? 
Ben, I'm, I'm curious as your opinion about this. How do you feel like we played after Benton Core got hurt? Because I think we weren't as good, but I, I, like I said earlier, I do think we were still comfortably the better team um, for the rest of that match. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't think we were doing a lot different until, again, legs wore out and Kulishevsky did, you know, shift back to the right wing and, and that made things a little different. But by and large, Hoybeard was just a little slower to progress the ball. He always takes extra touches. He's always needs to, like, have space to pick his head up before he, like, finds that pass. Um, and I think Villa just sort of felt like they could play with Bentancourt off the pitch in a way that gave us more to do defensively in transition. Um, they weren't as scared of us uh, after that. And I think that changed the dynamic a little bit. But They also got their yellow carters off, it felt like. Yeah, so. yeah. They really sent Matty Cash into witness protection program. <laughs> as Did you see as they could. Did you see at halftime that he like walked into the tunnel with like an escort? Because I think there were a bunch of Spurs players who were ready to fucking kill that guy. Like, like he walked in. He was surrounded by Villa players. It was like, you are not getting into it with anybody until you're in the locker room. Like, That's a shame. Fuck that guy. I swear to God. Like, I really do hope. Like, I'm not happy with Chris Romero getting a sloppy red card against uh, Chelsea. But, like, that man, like, has, like, if he wants to, like, kidnap Matty Cash on the pitch, take him to a basement and, like... You know, like give a whole casino s- royale treatment. I was thinking saw, but yeah, whatever. Like he wants to cut a, the bottom out of a chair and hit him in the nuts with a rope. Like that's fine with me. Like, but fuck Manny Cash. I'm so tired of that guy. Like Romero has license to do anything he wants. Like I, I think uh, Mac on Twitter was talking about how Spurs should sign like the dirtiest Uruguayan player possible for one match for one reason, and who cares what happens in that match? Like, and I'm all in favor of that. Let's. Let's end that motherfucker's career. Like, oh, what a piece of shit. Not, not really end his career, but, like, I'm not going to be mad if somebody pulls a nasty tackle on him the next time we play Villa. Yeah, no, we should, um, uh, you know, just... I have some people that we could call if we we needed them dealt with. <laughs> um, some no, I, Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I it's It's so weird that... He just manages to keep doing this to our players. Yeah, and it's just, it's not, I don't, I don't know how people aren't angrier about it. I mean, I know it's because we're Spurs or whatever, um, but it's just, it's so infuriating. I mean, that happened, you know, we don't get the heel call earlier in the match. It's just, it's, it's, it's so fucking aggravating. I'm, I'm, I'm so tired of this shit. <laughs> I mean, the good news is last time he did this, we went on to finish in the top four anyway. True. So, you know, I think maybe uh, we think this is a good omen. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's... Weren't we also in the top four at the time it happened? I don't know, Brian. <laughs> I mean, we were in the top four at the time this happened. This uh, time. That's but... true. Um, or were we fifth? I thought we were fifth going into this game. <laughs> uh, I thought we were. No, we were ahead of Villa until they beat us. Yeah. yeah. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. Uh, speaking of, we have a question for one of our listeners. Do you think Matty Cash has the guts to actually take the field when we play Villa again later this year if Romero's on the pitch? I think he's stupid enough to take the pitch. I don't know that I'd attribute yeah. to guts. 
I mean, I think that would be a great time for him to come down with some stomach ailment or, you know, just a slight, like a tweak to his groin or something. I I don't think he should be on the field. I mean, I don't think he should be on the field in general, but, you know, it would be nice uh, just so he doesn't injure more of our players. Um... Uh, let's get, let's ask let's take some more questions while we're here. Uh, Captain Honey Badger wants to know: uh, Do you how do you guys feel about uh, Kulishevsky playing in sort of an attacking midfield role going forward? I know we talked about this a little bit, but do you think this is like a long term thing? Do you think it's a short term solution? I think as long as we have other midfielders, Los Celso is the obvious choice to play that role. But you know, African combination is going to happen. And Madison is probably not going to be back and we're going to need multiple guys to play there. Um, Bendicor is going to still be out, obviously. Um, so I think we'll see it again. And I think, yeah, like I said before, I think he can do it. Well, and he seems super happy about doing it. Like, you know, he he was saying, you know, he felt like himself again and playing through the middle was like, what he always wanted to do and what he felt his suited his skill set best. So, I mean, I, I think that's encouraging almost more than anything else is that he's he embraces it. He wants to do it. So it is nice to have a player forced to play out of position. He's not just bitching and moaning about it. So that that, that was a nice change of pace. Uh, I don't think he's out of position. I just think he thinks he's out of position. Well, out of position for what he's played. It's like he got the Juventus, so if not before that. Um, Haley Bachrock wants to know, if you had to pick, which unexpected or fringe player do you think is going to really step it up during the holiday season to uh, help Spurs out? If you had to pick one player you think could do this, who do you think it'll be? Brian? Um... It's it's probably most likely to be Lacelso, but I think that it'll probably be Emerson Royale. Like I I don't know I thought Emerson as a center back was totally fine, and I know that Romero comes back, and so you know the logical thing is to drop Davies, um, and and play or, or excuse me to drop Emerson and play. Royale, oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> to drop Davies and play Romero. No, it wrong no again. damn it! Oh my God, everybody! I want everyone to know, <laughs> I, I am not under the influence yet. <laughs> I am saving just, the gummies for after the podcast. I am just very tired. Um, okay, so what I'm trying to say is, you would drop Royale to partner Romero with, with Davies. <laughs> Anyway, so anyway, I think that it makes more sense to play a center back pairing of Royale and Romero um, just because I think Royale's uh, shown that he can do this and that he's actually not that bad in that position. And I'm really sorry to have subjected everyone to that. (laughs) Greg's not going to edit it, so you have to listen to the whole thing. There's two fullbacks inside of all every man. One is Everson and one is Royale. God. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i didn't think you had that many beers this weekend brian um uh, <laughs> Let's end the be, uh, and on that note i think it's gonna be brian heel i think brian heel has a lot of uh notches against him but i think one thing you saw this week which we talked about a little bit is he just tries shit 
And I think especially in an Ange Postacoglu team, I think that counts for a lot. Uh, you know, my big worry with Brian is, and I know this isn't like a revelation talking about Brian Heal, but like, I mean, that guy was just getting bodied the entire match. Now, I think one advantage of that is he might get, if, if any ref is ever going to give Spurs a penalty call again, he, like he might draw it because we should have gotten one in like the sixth minute. But um, I don't know. He tries shit. And I think there's, in this coach's system, I think that has a little more value or a little more possibility of success than in certain other coaches we've played, we've had. So I'm going to say Brian Neal. Ben? I mean, you guys kind of took all the guys. There's not really anyone left for me to you say. You say Eric Dyer, you know, if you want to yeah. just, like, lie. I'm not going to say that. I'll say Brennan Johnson. I call him a fringe player. Well, Brandon Johnson's fine. You can lay off Brandon Johnson. Um, I know. I'm just calling him a fringe player and saying he's going to be the guy. It's like fringe in your like football manager lineup, not in like the actual Spurs team. No, I do think that Brandon Johnson coming good and like actually starting to score goals is like going to be very key for us becoming a better team. Yeah. Are you are you feeling better about Johnson now that we're getting more matches? Yeah, I still like. I I still wish he was a guy you know you could rely on to break things down but he is just not that guy uh but the stuff that he does well he's doing really well so i'm i'm happy with him i think you're seeing i mean we talked about this a little bit when we bought him but like i do think you're seeing the benefit of like having a better coach and better players around him i mean it's not necessarily he's learning new tricks but his tricks are getting better if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, bu- 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 uh, the Hamburglar wants to know if we are medically fit because everything related to Spurs needs a health check at this point. Ben, have you have you sustained any injuries in the last month? I am 40 years old. My entire body is an injury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't relate. My knee is definitely not tricky and something that I work on and go to physical therapy for. Brian, how 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 is your uh, young virile body doing with all that all those gummies running through it? Um uh, yeah, I'm I'm great, man. I mean, uh, you know, I you haven't felt pain for years, right? No, I mean, it's so hard to feel things. Um, physically, I, I feel a lot of emotions all at once and very intensely. Um, but, but yeah, physical pain is, is basically non-existent now. <laughs> well, maybe we should get the Spurs players. Some of, uh, some of what you're using, Brian. I'm sure that Christian Romero knows a guy. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good to know. That's, 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 that's real good to know. Uh, Peter Brooks wants to know what should be done with Maddie Cash. I mean, I already proposed the Casino Royale rope to the balls trick. You you did, Ben. That's a good point. I, I'd forgotten about our inner podcast continuity here. Yeah, I mean, if we're not going to, like, draw and quarter him like in the old days, then, yeah, the Casino Royale treatment seems like a good idea. Uh, Marcus, uh, wants to know, do you think LaCelso is going to make the most of the minutes he's about to get? Um, Brian, I mean, what, what, what how do you think LaCelso is going to, how do you think he's going to use these next few months? I am going to continue to hope that he uses them well and to show that he is actually capable of executing this system. Um, and I am going to be very, very confident in him. Ben, 
I think he's going to get injured in like a week. <laughs> I think he's going to be great and he's going to sign an extension by the end of the year. <laughs> I think he's going to play very well. I don't think he's going to live up to the hype that we built around for him, but I think he's going to be a very functional, creative midfielder for Spurs. And I think that we are not going to do Barcelona a favor and sell him to them. And I think it is actually a nice little piece of squad building that, like, I would rather Madison not get hurt. But, like, having him there is good. And, frankly, if we were competing on multiple fronts, having him there would be very good. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want him staying around, like, long, long term. But, like, or if he's going to stay around, because I would like him to stay around long term. But, you know, We'll see. I think he's got, what, one more year left on his contract after this? Or is it two? I have no idea. But, like, I'm very – like, I think we're going to be very happy with him over the next, you know, little while. Creative midfield is not going to be our problem, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, how are you guys uh, feeling about City? Are you just the same existential dread we always feel about playing City on the road? Or – do you have any more nuanced thoughts about this game? I think we're going to smash them. Do you think? Okay, okay. The pendulum has spoken. Brian, how how are you feeling? Um, not not great. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I am very worried about Erling Holland against uh, those center backs, or potentially Eric Dyer if he plays. I guess. Um, yeah, I I. I, I don't feel good about this one, and it's isn't it? I believe it's in Manchester, so um, yeah. they will definitely score a goal. I again, much like when I thought we were going to lose the match, I felt a lot more nervous about the match when I saw Brennan Johnson just jogging up the field uh, with that with that ball down the flank, and like I, I feel like any chance we had to win is just like I feel much worse about it considering how tired this team looked and how thin our bench is. And like, you know, knock on wood, we'll get Sar back, but like, man, like I just you know, going to city's always a struggle. But I don't know. They they seem to have not been quite as all encompassing this year, so who knows? I mean, we are their bogey team, so here's hoping. On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Uspers. Uh Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. And you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. You can find me on Blue Sky at Plain Old Skipjack. Uh, don't forget to follow our podcast Twitter feed at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Ben, for Brian... For Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs, and enjoy your lunch. I'm going to wrap.